Yo, what's up there, friends? What's going on? Stephen Broden Cortez here. Welcome to the Why the F Not podcast. This is episode 77. Uh, this is this is going pretty well, this whole video thing. I'm digging it. I'm appreciating it. Uh, welcome, welcome. Today, we have uh, a special guest joining the podcast. Not a friend from college. Not this time. This time, this is a friend I met on the good old social media TikToks. Uh, Jennifer Levinson, uh, a writer, producer, uh, actor. She does it all, man. One of the boldest people I've ever met. Talking to her was such uh, such a thrill. Uh, I hope you enjoy this next uh, this next episode. Yeah, the, it's a good time. Yeah, sit back, relax. I don't know what else to say. Uh, and get get to it. Roll the clip. Ro- ro- roll the clip. Ah, <sighs> we're all set. All the jitters are out of my system yeah. now. I can drink coffee uh, and relax and be here with you. Hi, Jennifer. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> I already okay. asked you how you're doing, but I want to ask you again. How you doing? How's everything? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm excited because it's my favorite weekend of the year, Halloween. How are oh, you? Dude, same. Good vibes, right? Good vibes yeah. in the air. Spirits in the air. Uh, we were just getting to know each other a little bit better. And before we get into everything that is, you know, my curiosity, wanting to get to know who you are, right? Uh, something I noticed from social media, we have we have some mutual friends. Oh, we do? Who? Yeah. One I saw was Bobby Labeda. Labeda. Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah, we did theater camp together forever ago. Gosh, talk about Then we really did grow up around the same area. This is so rad. <laughs> so funny. Where'd you go to high school? Viewpoint in Calabasas. Oh, okay, right on, right on. I went to Birmingham yeah. High School. Okay. Which is well, like that's... right down the street from Encino. Yeah, Tarzana, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, wow, nice. Well, okay, so I was about to tell you about what initially got me, got my curiosity sparked and got my attention onto you to be like, I have to ask her to be on my podcast. Who is this yeah. Jennifer Levinson? Uh, was your TikTok, and that's been my main source of uh, of guests right now when it comes to meeting people that I don't know and wanting to get them on my show. I go to TikTok to let yeah. TikTok tell me what's going on right now. And I saw a TikTok you posted about how you were talking it was the caption was when your ex from buzzfeed tells you like you won't make it or something but then you produce write, and star in your own feature and i was like holy shit (laughs) excuse me and then i saw the trailer for trust and i was like all right i gotta as they say shoot the shot and i gotta ask her i gotta ask her if she's willing to be on the show and you're here and i'm so excited Well, thanks for having me. It's so funny because I did not expect that TikTok to blow up, but the the power of the internet and BuzzFeed, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's trendy right now just because of drama that happened with certain yes. married the folks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I like to call them the try guys with an I now. You know, they're a solid try, a trifecta mm-hmm. now. We can add people in if we want, but... Exactly. But we're not here talking about those fellas. We're here talking about you Jennifer Levinson. So let me get things stuff. Let's get, let me get things started off by uh, by starting it off how I start with everyone and just being like, hey, where did things start off for you? Like where where did th- where did where did you grow up? You're talking about Encino. Where did it start? Mm-hmm. For you? Yeah, I'm a Valley girl from Los Angeles. Grew up in Encino and always wanted to act. My parents were like, why don't you try anything else? And then when I turned 18, I was like, you guys can help me or um, I will disown you. So they 
offered to help me and drive me to auditions. And I think because I was so green at the time and unaware of the way this industry worked, I ended up doing really well. Like my first three auditions, I almost booked. And the third one was a Super Bowl commercial, which I did book. And then my parents were like, oh, maybe this girl can do this crazy thing. And then I ended up going to college, studying theater in college. and Chapman, uh, correct? Chapman, yeah. Uh, went there to get, to study screen acting. And I think things have changed since I went there. But you have at the time, you had to audition for the theater program in general. And then you'd get in. And then the end of your freshman year, you audition again to either go into like screen acting or a BFA in performance. And I didn't get in to screen acting. Um, And I think that whole experience is what started me on like making my own content because I realized so much of it is out of your control. There's Mm. so much rejection. I need to focus on what I can do. And acting is always going to be the forefront for me. But I found other ways to sort of navigate the space and put myself on camera. Nice. Necessity being the mother of invention, if you will. Yes, exactly. You're like, I need to do stuff, but if it's not happening, I'll do it myself. Right. Yeah. So and I think part of it too at Chapman, they have an amazing film program and I would get in trouble for missing class to be in films at the film program, but I have no regrets about <laughs> some of my best friends and my director of trust went to Chapman and studied film. No way. Yeah. So it's I been always... a nice I always say that the best thing I got out of college were the connections, like the people. The degree is, it's nice, but it's the yeah. connections you make. Exactly. I think my degree is in a landfill somewhere, but the connections. Those <laughs> still are still got thriving. Them. Yeah. <laughs> Dope. Yeah. So, when, so, okay, so uh, you were this young kid that you you wanted to act. I mean, what what was it that made you so so sure, so confident, so so it's so willing to push your parents to get you to auditions. What was it that struck it in you? Did something inspire you? Did someone inspire you? You know, uh, it's funny because I think I go through blips with it. It's such a cutthroat industry, as I'm sure you know. Mm. Um, I I think I'm lucky. And being from L.A., it's like if I fail, I'm still here. <laughs> So it's not like I have to move home. If I move home, I can still go to audition. So for me at the time, I think it's I I grew up playing sports. And then my mom was a very musical oriented person who kind of encouraged me to do a play. And I remember giving her a lot of shit for that because I was like, I don't want to do theater. I want to go play soccer. (laughs) And then I ended up falling in love with it, which was probably a regret for her at the time. But I don't know if it was like some big inspiration. I think I was so naive at the beginning that I didn't realize so much of it has to do with the business and the marketing and nothing to do with talent. I loved, I think I fell in love with the art of it, of being able to step into somebody's shoes and play and create a world like storytelling. Um, That part I fell in love with. And I think since then I've had, my struggles and like maintaining that sort of a passion when it is a business. And I think that's where I've figured out how to like segue into the writing and producing type thing. But um, 
yeah, no, no one person, maybe my mom, just her encouraging me to do theater was the thing that struck me. You know, I, I, I always like to think of, uh, of like watering seeds, you know, when like kids have inspirations or whatever, or just thoughts or ideas and, and people around them, parents included, you know, they can help water and tend those seeds for the kids. And it seems like your mom was like, here's the seed of theater. I'm going to put it in your garden. If you don't like it, cool. But let's see what happens. Yeah, my mom, I'm lucky because my, my parents are super supportive of anything I do. I think my dad is a little more skeptical and supportive, but uh, I, I mean, even with this film I just made, they, I, I will never forget the call of me calling them and being like, hey guys, I'm just letting you know I'm going to make a film. And my dad and I got in a full on screaming match on the phone and I was dying laughing because, <laughs> you know, I, I think parents, they come from such a good intentioned place and my dad did at the time and it was such a 180 he's done in terms of like he let me film in his house and he went on vacation and he ended up being an extra on set and I think he still has his concerns but um, I'm ultimately very lucky to have such supportive parents what, what was the fight about was he just worried was he just like you know his, I, like his anxiousness and his ideas I think or, it's or, a mix of all of it that like here you have your daughter who's never made a feature before it, at the beginning of a global pandemic going, hey, guys, I'm making a feature. It sounds delusional. And I think at first he thought I was joking. But then when, he, when I started to talk more about it and he realized how serious I was, I think that scared him, especially because he's seen my ups and down struggles in this industry. But for me, I... Over the past few years, I've always had agents, but I think there's this misconception. When you move to L.A., you'll get an agent audition all the time. And I was like, I have an agent. Don't know if she remembers. <laughs> like, <laughs> might be nice to get an audition this year. Fingers crossed. But I, it was years of not getting auditions. And so I, I obviously, like, dabbled in BuzzFeed videos. and was trying to create my own content. And then um, after my ex and I broke up, who I'm sure will end up talking about the BuzzFeed stuff. But I was like, I want to make more uh, scripted narrative content. And the only way that I'm going to succeed as an actor is if I show what I'm capable of doing, I haven't been able to even get in the door to fail at an audition. So I started writing like proof of concepts in like smaller content. And that somehow got me noticed by Tribeca Film Festival. And then I got into that. And that's what started getting the balls rolling of like, oh, I should make a feature. And I think because I had already made these small proof of concepts, my dad knew I was not joking. And he was scared that I was about to pull out all my stock money, all my money that I've ever made and put it into a film, which uh, I definitely did. <laughs> I mean, a lot of greats have done that. Kevin Smith pops into my head, you know, you gotta, if you believe in it, you gotta take that risk, even if you're the <laughs> only one who believes in it. Yeah, and I got lucky because I did get equity investors, but it got to a point where I was like, I, it takes years for people to get enough money to make a feature. And I was like, I'm making this feature beginning of next year. I will find a way. And I <laughs> ended up just supplementing the equity we got with my own finances. Phenomenal. Yes. Inspiring. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> So uh, let's before we dive into uh, into into your feature and how that got started, and even even before BuzzFeed, 
you said you 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 wanted to start writing your own your own content and creating your own content, and Chapman, and realizing how hard the like how hard it was going already. Well, what was the first project you created? What was the first when when did pen hit paper, if you will? Yeah, so throughout college, I ended up performing as different Disney characters at birthday parties, and I started getting some crazy stories from that. And um, I watched this documentary called Hollywood Complex about parents and their kids who moved to L.A. during pilot season. Some don't leave. And I was like, that is the mo-. the whole thing was very depressing Whoa. and hilarious. Yeah. Parents move from like out of state and they come into mm-hmm. California during pilot season just for that. Yeah. And then some of them end up staying here at the Oakwoods. And I was so just caught off guard by that reality. And then my own world of doing princess parties that. Um, my ex, who was a filmmaker from Chapman and I, uh, we were living together and I was like, this has to be like a a script. I'm sure other people have done this kind of idea, but, um, there's something funny to me about like a stage mom and her kid who moved to LA during pilot season. And they're, they're like a talented duo who does everything wrong and like cons people and has this really terrible princess party business so that was like the first thing that i started writing i never really and then i like didn't take a writing class at chapman or anything but um throughout that uh period of time after chapman when we were doing that sort of web series i was like my my ex and i were working together a lot and it sort of became this like codependency in terms of making content and then he ended up working in office at buzzfeed and i was like i can't just depend on another person i need to start making my own stuff so um, a lot of the stuff at buzzfeed is unscripted and i would occasionally try to like through him pitch scripted stuff um and then eventually we broke up and i wasn't doing buzzfeed videos at all and i was like i need to really lean into the narrative stuff Um, so I ended up looking online on some like job posting site and saw this show solved. That's a Snapchat show. And they were looking for staff writers. So I was like, well, it's formatted. I'm just going to like take a stab at writing a spec script. And I sent one in and ended up getting staffed. And that was kind of like the, the biggest segue into the writing thing. And did you just, did my, do my ears deceive me? Did you say that? The Chapman didn't give you any writing courses? Not not in the program I was in. I think they offered like... But you didn't take any at all? No. No, I was um, very much... I, I It's funny because in high school, I was like the straight A good student, like cried over an A minus. And then I got to Chapman and I got a theater scholarship to do plays. But I was like, no casting director is going to drive to Orange County to see me and like some random ass play on this small stage. I'm going to do the films like the film school is great. And they would like threaten to take my talent scholarship away every semester. Cause part of it was auditioning for the plays. And I was like, go for it, take it. I don't want to do your plays. But um, yeah, I didn't, I probably should have taken a writing class, but I think I was so focused on ingraining myself in the film school. And then when I didn't get into the screen acting program, I was like, well, I'm just going to get passing grades and really focus on, trying to like establish myself in LA. So I was like taking the bare minimum classes and then doing internships in LA. Like I interned for Conan and then I did one for relativity media and 
that's where I was trying to like get my industry experience versus the classes, I guess. You are so bold. You are <laughs> I'm <a> so <laughs> bold. Thanks. Like this school, this uh, and Chapman's not some some like community college. They're like they like to think of themselves as you know Chapman University, whatever, right? And so they're like, we'll take yeah. your money away if you don't do it. And you're like, take it, yeah, take the money, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I definitely I could have probably had a better attitude there, but I think I I realized, and I'm sure it goes with every theater program. Is I felt like everyone in the program itself. We, they got there being the biggest fish in a small pond at their high school mm. and a lot of egos in the theater program. And I was like, I'm here to just like get better at my craft and try and build my resume. And I think the teachers, at least in the theater program also played into this mentality <laughs> where I I'm like, we're all here to learn and, and succeed in our, or like get the tools to succeed in, I personally didn't feel like I was getting what I expected out of the program. So I tried to find other ways to go about it. Fair. Yeah. I mean, perspective. Let's, let's, let's get a little perspective here. Right. Uh, if you're, you're not, you're not some average college student coming into the theater program here. You, you said you already have been auditioning since you, how, how young were you when you started auditioning with your parents? I think I was like just about to turn 18. So, and so continue, please. Oh, yeah. No. So I knew going in. I th it's funny because I think Chapman, uh, I went to Chapman with like a lot of confidence in L.A. And then when I got to Chapman, that confidence went out the door. <laughs> like they kind of break you down so yeah. that they can give you the tools to build you up, which I think is standard of a lot of these theater programs. And I feel like I've had to learn how to get that back because so much of auditioning is walking into the room with confidence, especially for, you know, commercials. And when you're starting out, you're only getting small lines to audition for. But um, prior to Chapman, I would show up at auditions that I wasn't even called in for. That's how I, I mean, the third audition I went to was the Oscar Mayer Super Bowl commercial. And they were like, your name's not on here. And I was like, oh, my agent told me to come. And then I ended up booking it. But I was, I, and I would never do that now. <laughs> But I was so green at the time. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll go. You can get away with it. Yeah. And then I think going to Chapman, I had this like realization of like, uh, they, they just break you down so much that I left with like having to rebuild the confidence. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's definitely that, uh, uh, it's that, it's that, it's that, it's in schools like in any school you go to it's that there's bureaucracy within the educational program especially in the arts right the yeah music the i studied music in school but like in college like even the music department has their own bureaucracy the theater department sure. has their own bureaucracy they have their own way of thinking of how things are set and if you go against that flow it can be a little rough it can be yeah rough. but at the, on the flip side i think it's a good it was a good wake up call for me that like so much of this is not talent related and mm. like you can only control so much. So focus on what you can control in the industry. Oh, that's helpful. That's helpful. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to a friend earlier and she's, she works for a talent agency and sometimes it's, you know, your hair is too dark or you're just slightly short and it's, it's not even how you delivered your line. It's not even how you express yourself. It has nothing to do with that. Sometimes yeah. you just don't know the right person. Totally. Yeah. 
So okay, so Chapman, you go through the you go through the ropes with Chapman. You leave Chapman. Uh, when did BuzzFeed enter your life? Yeah. So um, throughout Chapman, I so I did a few internships. One of them was for Relativity Media, which I don't even know if they exist anymore, but. Um, they were starting a university at the time and my ex and I had just moved to LA together and he was looking for work. And so I connected him with relativity and got him a job at the university doing like social media, digital marketing stuff. Mm. And that was like in my senior year of Chapman. And then he decided he didn't like that job. And I had heard somebody else I interned with was at BuzzFeed. And I was like, well, if I help you get a job at BuzzFeed, then can I like somehow swoop in and take your job at Relativity maybe? And we basically, that's basically what happened. I, there was a girl who I interned with at Conan, Chantel, who ended up going to BuzzFeed. And I think I connected her with my ex and he like interviewed and then I helped him write the application video and I acted in it and then he got the job at BuzzFeed and then I took his job at Relativity. <laughs> so the BuzzFeed stuff kind of happened because he was in office and they would have to do days called banger days where like you'd have to shoot, write and edit a video in one day. And so he'd be like, hey, you want to come in and be in a video? And I'd be like, sure. And then all these other people were like, hey, can you be in our videos? And then we, I'd be like, sure, I'm here yeah. already. <laughs> yeah. And then I think we kind of ended up getting branded online together because um, we were in one video that sort of blew up and people really attached to that type of a thing. So I kind of leaned into it and was like, how do I leverage this so that I don't ever have to work in an office constantly? Because like my, the job I had at Relativity was like, a couple days a week in office, but even that I was like, oh, I'm not an office girl. <laughs> so I was able to sort of segue the BuzzFeed thing into like a social media following specifically on Snapchat, which kind of opened the door for me to like write, produce and act in different commercials. Like I was flown to Berlin to be in a Marriott commercial and nice. like help produce it. So stuff like that, BuzzFeed, like such as I might uh, crap on BuzzFeed and <laughs> certain experiences there were not the best. It did open a lot of doors for me because I leveraged it in other ways. What an entrepreneur. So Gotta be in the like, if anything, I'm like taking notes right now. I'm like, all right, leverage, leverage, yeah. find the leverage. All right, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, it's crazy because the video that we were in that blew up was about Couples tell each other secrets and my secret, which, you know, our secrets may or may not have not been secrets, wink, wink, but <laughs> well, it was like recording him on Snapchat sleep talking. And then they did a follow-up video and I casually emailed the producer, my Snapchat handle. And then all of a sudden I had like a million Snapchat followers and my, I immediately was like, I need to find a Snapchat agency. There's gotta be one. And I found one. And then started like partnering with brands and I, I don't do that anymore, but I mean, it brought in some great money and really like enabled me to pursue the creative stuff for a good while. You have, you have this great sense of, of business and entrepreneurship. Like I, like I mentioned, where did that come from? Is that from your non-artistic parent, your dad? 
Is Maybe. That- well, th- first of all, thanks. Um, I think it, I don't know where it came from. Maybe my dad or, or my mom. Maybe your mom, just, yeah. Yeah, I think I just realized that, like, a lot of this industries hurry up and wait. And there there's plenty of time where, like, a year would go by and I'd be like, I can't do anything. I'm, like, getting no auditions. And I'm calling myself an actor. Like, how is it? Like, I, and I also think, like, I had taken so many acting classes in college and in L.A. I was taking, like, the Leslie Kahn and doing all these acting classes that, to me, I was like, they put me in my head a lot now where, like, they're, I'm like, the best way in my experience to act is to, like, instead of, you can take an audition class or you can do auditions and that's how you get better. Or, like, being on set, so much of it is, like, hit your mark, make sure you lift your arm the same way in every take because continuity. And I feel like that's stuff you learn on set. And like, you can do all the classes, but I kind of felt like I'm doing these classes. They're not going to go anywhere if I can't even get auditioned. So I need to find out other ways And I had to reframe my idea of like what success is. Cause I think when I was younger, it was like, Oh, book a show. And then after college, I was like, no, it's about like, I just want to tell stories in whatever capacity. And um, whether it's like through digital or like, I I think we're so lucky to have the digital space. Now it's a double-edged sword, but it's really opened up a lot of doors to like tell stories in different ways. So I just, I think I'm maybe slightly crazy in that I like, I can't sit still. (laughs) I'm like, I have to be doing something to feel like I'm pushing myself forward. I mean, when you're hungry, your body tells you. When you're sleepy, yeah. your body tells you. It looks like this is some sort of instinctual type of signaling in, within you, like that all us artists have, right? That if I'm yeah. not creating what I what I love to create, like I feel like I'm dying inside. Like something's like I'm. You're being stagnant. Yeah, yeah and I think also I used to be like hurt by rejection or people being like, "You're never gonna make it," and mm-hmm. then a something switched in my brain in college when I didn't get into the screen acting program, the head of my theater department was like, you know, when one door closes and another opens, maybe you'll marry a rich man and move to Greece. I'll like, I'll never forget that phrase verbatim. And I, I remember I got an audition for a play in LA and I was like, if I don't book this play, I'm done. Fuck this. And then I ended up booking it. And after that, anytime anyone would like give me any sense of like, well, I mean, good luck to you, hard industry, you're going to fail. It, like it's like fuel in the tank and then I get like well and now I have to prove them wrong this like now I'm exhausted because I have to go out of my way to prove that I can't do this thing so I think that's been helpful to be able to channel the rejection into fuel hell yeah hell yeah who are they to say you can't like again if not not to like t- tie it back to the to, to the podcast but like that's why I have this podcast because the world is filled with all these people who are like why why climb yeah. that? Mountain? Why are you going to climb that mountain? Why even try? It's impossible. People fail every day. Why do it? But then you yeah. need some folks who are like, why the fuck not? Like, why exactly. not? Go climb that mountain, dude. Yeah. And if you fail, that's awesome because it shows that you at least gave it a chance. Yeah, I heard I heard I heard this once of of how people ridicule others for trying and failing. Yeah. It's like, you sh- we should we shouldn't only applaud success. We should also applaud and, I mean, again, that, we don't have to feed each other's egos, but we don't have to put each other down at the same time just because we failed because we tried. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from people projecting their own insecurities. 
you know, you see someone else doing the thing that you thought would be too hard to do and whether or not they're succeeding or failing, I think it, it causes people discomfort. Yeah. And, and we have to talk about that, especially confront that situation, those kinds of conversations, interactions, because we got to change that. We got to make it a, you know, an idea of like, we're all in the same ocean and we're all ships, you know, the ocean rises, all ships rise, you know? Yeah. I love that. It can't be doggy dog. I don't, it's just. Yeah. Like there's room for multiple people to succeed in every field. Yeah. Cause it, entertainment industry like the entertainment industry alone it if you look back at what it was i don't know in the 50s to what it is now the evolution it's gone through evolutions it's gone through i mean what a celebrity is today isn't what it was 20 years ago you know yeah the opportunities that we have now weren't around 20 years ago right i mean it's constantly changing for just sure li- just listen to your story like listen to what you've just shared already just from from buzzfeed to relativity to snapchat just throwing yourself into the room and being like why not here i am like yeah it's... i All mean right. it's crazy <laughs> yeah it's been a, it's been a fun ride so far um so buzzfeed happens where where does writing a feature come in where where does like is tr is trust your first ever written feature? Yeah. So it's, it's funny. Um, the, my ex and I were branded kind of as like love goals. And I've talked about this a little bit, but our relationship was very unhealthy. Mm. And I think part of why I stuck it out so long is at the time when I was in it, I was like, well, this has provided me with a source of income Mm. and I'm technically doing what I love to do being on camera and like, if I, if this, if I end this relationship, there goes my, like the, everything that I'm familiar with, like no longer living with a partner, like my main source of income, this brand we created. So, um, uh, but one of the things when we were together, I would talk about wanting to write and make a feature and was not getting support. Um, and I, he, sorry for interrupting. What was he saying? Like every time you'd bring up this idea of writing a feature. Yeah. So not just feature, but with anything, I think that, um, well, the next script that I have in the doc is called how to hunt a narcissist. Um, (laughs) yeah. And it kind of dabbles in this. I think that we were in this codependent type situation where maybe he felt threatened by, the possibility of me succeeding. Cause like, even when I would get a brand deal for target, that's like through Snapchat, instead of being like, Whoa, that's awesome. It would be like, you're getting $5,000. So do that. And like, just very much like Uh any opportunity to kind of, uh, lower me was, uh, the goal. So after the relationship ended and the Buzzfeed stuff ended, I, and also he, this person's very beloved at that company. And, um, you know, it, I, I kind of went through a spiral of like, there's no way anyone knows what happens behind closed doors. I mean, look at this thing online that we created. And I kind of took a step back from acting and writing for a second. Cause I was like, I don't know. And then the solve thing happened. But, um, throughout that time, I, 
I somehow found my way back to the writing after enough space had passed. And I was like, oh, I'm actually like not bad at this. This person like convinced me like, oh, I need to like go to grad school for writing that I can't just write. But I, I feel like any the, there's not one solid path to success in LA. And mm. I think I just needed to realize that for myself and like get some self-esteem. So um, trust kind of came to be because I have some family members who are a little cuckoo kachoo and <laughs> forever ago when I was like 12 or something, there was a funeral for my grandpa that was like a YouTube video. It should have been, I wish to this day someone would have recorded it. Like my aunt stormed in in the middle. There was like an impromptu talent show. And apparently at the end of the funeral, I don't remember this, but I turned to the rabbi and said like, I'm so sorry uh, that you had to like deal with these freaks. And then I turned to my friend and went, this needs to be a movie. And then for some reason, years later, that is in the movie. Like, um, that's the ending of the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of like, I had this story for a while and I think, um, there, there are certain characters that are based on people in my actual family. Some that are, fictitious but I felt compelled to tell a story about the aftermath of a suicide because I personally have had a family member who committed suicide and I think there's a lot of content out there that kind of throws suicide into the mix and like not even romanticizes it but it's just kind of like flippant and I wanted to see something that's like a realistic portrayal of the ways in which money kind of takes away from the, a death of a family member and how suicide, that type of a death also impacts families. So that's sort of how trust came to be. And I think with all of these different events that contributed to the film, I had a lot of space before making a film about it. And like the same thing with the next script, How to Hunt a Narcissist. It, it's like I've had a lot of space from the the people who inspired the narrative. Nice. Oh, well, this is yeah. exciting. I mean, so first off, I mean... I love the title of How to Hunt a Narcissist. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> great title. Great title. Uh, but when it comes to trust, let's see. First off, death is something that we all got to talk about more. I think people, they dodge and bob and weave as much as they can whenever death even pops up, right? Because it's mm -hmm. hard. It's hard. But how, again, how bold of you to not just take death, the, the conversation of death, but suicide and how that affects people. And I don't want to like get too much into 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 um, into the whole suicide and money and how that impacts family because I feel like you're going to explain all that in trust. So I wouldn't want to uh, I wouldn't want to ruin anything there. But let's see. I, I am curious about the writing process for trust. When yeah. when did pen hit paper? So uh, years ago. Um, it was like maybe six months to a year after the BuzzFeed breakup. I had uh, I had this aunt that I used to be close with who is part of the Cuckoo Kachu clan. <laughs> and um, so I ended up writing a short. And then I was like, I want to make this short. And I uh, that was the proof of concept that got noticed by Tribeca. And I hit up a couple friends. One went to Chapman with me. And um, basically, I wrote this short as I was the youngest sister um, then a brother and another sister. And we come home after we found out our mom committed suicide. And while we were there, we were on set talking about all the different 
areas the story could go. And I was like, I need to just tackle a, a script. So I started just writing and I, there are a lot of plot holes and I was like, I don't know where I want this to go, but I know what I'm, I know that I want to see a story where there is no love interest. And I also want to see a story where there's maybe not a reconciliation. I think there's mm -hmm. so many films I see where it's like, you only have one family or like, you have to reconcile with like the happy ending. And I didn't, I wanted to see a half or like a hopeful ending that shows someone who's setting a boundary because mm -hmm. I feel like in my personal life, that's something I would have benefited from seeing um, instead of this like narrative of make it work, make it work. So I kind of like put together this script and then my friend Emily, who was at the actual funeral was like, remember the, uh, the urn, you were so upset by the urn. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you were like, why is my grandpa in a vase? And I was like, that's actually <laughs> really funny. I need to like write that into the script. So this, that became a thing in the script. And then, um, the proof of concept had a one director and I was at a bar with my friend, Almog, who, uh, I always looked up to, he, to me was like a success story from Chapman. And I was telling him about the process of the short and how I wanted to make a feature. And he jokingly was like, well, I'm, I'd throw my hat in the ring to direct it. And then the next day I was like, Hey, so uh, remember that remember that thing yeah. i told you about yeah exactly <laughs> so, yeah so i sent him my not great script and then he really really helped me develop it and iron it out and fine-tune the characters i think for me the hardest part was there i i tend to write based on real experiences and people i know and one character in particular kind of to me i thought we toned her way down and uh everyone who saw the short was like this person seemed almost like a caricature and way too exaggerated. So I thought I toned it down in the feature script and Almog came in and was like, this seems like not a real person. I was like, but the real person's so much worse. So <laughs> I, I basically was like, help me with this script. I only am married to the fact that I want no love story and I want the girl to leave at the end. Otherwise, I am open to any notes, any feedback. And so um, he really helped you out with that. Dig it. And I mean, what better person to help you with the script than the person that's going to direct the movie? Yeah. And it was helpful because there's a Jewish element to it. I'm Jewish. Um, and <laughs> the director is Israeli. So he was able to help with that sort of identity thing that's in the script. And since then, I've like been writing significantly more and I have different writing partners. But Almog and I are still like we we he's down the street from me and we are writing like almost every day different types of content. So very excited to have. I think that's helpful in writing, having someone to hold you accountable and bounce mm. ideas off of. Takes a village. Takes a yep. village. That's dope. Thanks. Oh, man. So, God, I don't even know where I want to take this to now. I'm so, you sorry that my dog is crying in the background. Come here. Uh, I don't hear your doggo. I <laughs> oh, saw good. your dog on Instagram, and I was, and it was about the same time that my dog was begging at me for his treat because <laughs> I don't know. That's if funny. You have a fur baby? What's your fur baby's name? Zoe. Hey, Zoe. She's she's very demanding. I don't know if she'll come over here. Come here. She's like, not no, no. mom. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah what's yours? I'd call my dog Milo. He's not, his name's Milo. I'd call him over, but he's deaf, so he won't come oh, over. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's cool. 
So he's asleep somewhere. I don't know, uh, but he's a sweet little dude. But uh, you, you might hear him. If someone walks past the door, he'll bark. He's the unofficial co-host of the podcast. Oh, nice. We love a, a fur baby co-host. Heck yeah. Uh, I wanted to say I admire how much you you tackled writing, even without you know having that, as your ex said, you know that traditional background. You, know, you didn't go to grad school for writing. You didn't do this for writing. How can you write a script if you didn't do this? And... It reminds me of someone named, do you know who um, Pavarotti is? No. Pavarotti is one of the great tenors of history. Like he died, he died a couple years ago, more than a couple years ago. Jeez, I don't know if around, but he's one of the great, one of the three big tenors of history, right? Of the last yeah. at least 20 years. And one of the best facts I know about Pavarotti is that he didn't read a lick of music. Wow. One of the greatest voices of our generation didn't read music. So I love yeah. I love hearing stories like yours where it's the non-traditional approach. It's yeah, you're not going yeah. to school like dude, f- out of my high school, my my drama teacher, Amanda Swan, shout out Swan, love you. Uh she straight up had a talk with the entire theater class during our senior year and was like, "Everyone, I just want to let you know something. You don't need a theater degree." To be an actor. I wish someone had told that to me. That's the best advice. Seriously. Great advice. You don't need Because I think you don't need it. And or even like I know so many people become writers, PAs or writers assistants. But I I know that that's a gamble, too. Um, Like you may or may not get staffed. You're getting coffee like you're not doing what you want to do. And I see that in acting, too. So much of it is like you're not actually doing what you want to do. So for me, I'm like. I guess I kind of said, oh, here she is. Here's a fur baby. Hello. Oh, she's darling. Yeah. But I settled with the fact for writing. I was like, I just need to be comfortable being bad for a while. Like, I need to just write some really trash crap and then, like, improve it. Because I'm not going to be great at the beginning. But if I just keep writing and if I'm passionate about the subject matter of what I'm writing about, someone else out there will be too. And I think that was most helpful. Like, with trust, I... I am pleasantly surprised with the reception because for a first feature, it's really stupid to do a drama. And everyone told me that and I knew it. And I was like, cool, thank you all. I'm still doing it. Um, So I'm pleasantly surprised with the way it's resonating with people because technically horror is like the safe route to go. Um, But I, I truly believe like if you work at your craft in whatever way is best for you and, and you love what you're doing, someone else will too. And let me take this now as a good opportunity to start raving about your trailer because trust, let's see, lighting wise, it looks beautiful. It looks like it was shot gorgeously too. It was shot so well. It sounds amazing. Those are like some of the things like, you know, people don't, I don't know. People miss those things. Like how something sounds, how something looks Yeah, right. I feel like people notice it when it's bad, but I'm like, yeah, thank you. We, we, I think our sound designer crushed it and Sten, our DP, beautiful. He made it look great. So aesthetically, visually, you know, auditorily, uh, the, 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 the trailer was just very pleasing to watch. The acting was so, so grounded and just like bravo on your part, like some serious like shit to go into. Uh, and hey, that, that scene wild. of you going into the beach. <laughs> Thank like, you. Holy shit. Uh, it's funny to watch the movie and remember what was happening on the day. Like, oh, they yelled cut. And then I was signing a check and do like <laughs> the, all that stuff is so funny to think about. <laughs> 
Because, yeah, let's remind everyone, you didn't just star in this film. You were also the executive producer. Yeah, so I, I wrote it, executive produced it. And we had a producer, but I... I mean, this was, it's funny because I've gone to so many screenings where someone's like, yeah, I mean, we had no budget, just like a few million dollars. And I'm like, huh, if only, <laughs> you know, we had like 250K and, you know, we had a solid size crew, but I definitely was wearing multiple hats and I, it was the best learning experience possible because, you know, beyond just going writing grad school, I had a lot of people being like, why don't you study producing in grad school? And I was thinking like, I could go spend 200K producing in grad school to then spend more money on top of it to actually make a film. Or why don't I just go do it? I'm just going to fucking do it and see how it goes and hire the best talent that I know and trust that talent. And I, I think I got really lucky with the director I brought on, but yeah, learned a lot throughout the process. I think next time around I will, uh, maybe employ some more producer support because it's a lot to handle. I can't even imagine like the plates you were spinning, but again, like I want to rave, rave on more about that trailer. The performances are so spot on, not just yours. You know, I don't want to just be, be rubbing your ego all day right now. You know what I mean? I want to like everyone in that, in that trailer from just like that, that one kid I saw at the yarmulke who was trying to say like, Hey, sorry. Like he was even just so fun to watch. So the guy who plays like opposite to you, not again, not like you said, not a romantic opposite, the male, the male mm -hmm. character, but just, like, just, just like the, he's just, he was great to watch. Like, and then you also have notable actors in this as well. Like, yeah. did, I, did my eye deceive me? Did I see the dad from even Stevens in this? You did. Yeah. We got so lucky. So the guy who plays my brother is a friend from Chapman and he is a phenomenal comedy performer, like was in Sunday company at Groundlings. He got flown to New York to audition for SNL, but he's so brilliant dramatically that I was like, I'm writing you this role. And like, I hope you trust me. You'll stick around and like do the role. So he, I think it's, an, I may be biased, but I think it's his best performance. And then for his birthday, I wrote that scene of him in an office and uh, he loves even Stevens. And so my birthday present was like, Hey, I hired the dad from even Stevens. But it, I mean, I, it's wild cause he's notable in my mind. And then Lyndon Ashby who plays our dad, he's like in teen wolf. And then he was just in purple hearts, which is like really big on Netflix. And, um, it's not like we were paying them much money. You know, we, we only had so much to go off of, but I think it was really helpful to have a proof of concept and some a Tribeca Laurel. And also I think a lot of people were like, wait till the pandemic is done because you're putting all this money into COVID protocols. But I think on the flip side, some actors were willing to work maybe at a rate that wasn't what they're used to because not uh, they like the content, but they also uh, didn't, I mean, no one was getting employed during the first part of the pandemic. So I'm I'm grateful that I was able to like successfully and safely employ people in a pandemic. God, wait. So when did y'all start filming? We filmed at the end of, was it 2021 or no, no. Beginning of 2021. Beginning of February. 2021. Yeah. February, 2021 into March, I believe. So, we so, were, pretty so that was like almost like the, the apex of the, of the pandemic. Yeah, so I was I was a little nervous because I was like, if someone gets COVID, we're screwed. But luckily, we had no issue. 
Whoa. Well, damn. Congratulations. And when's the uh, – because you've had uh, screenings at film festivals. When's the official release? I heard December. Yeah. Your birthday? So, well, we had um, our premiere at Cinequest, which was in the Bay. And then we just had a Canadian premiere. And then it's it's wild. So I didn't know this was a thing until we got this distributor. But um, because there are, like, niches for certain festivals and our film – has a Jewish component, we can recoup investments by screening at Jewish film festivals. Like a lot of the festivals pay screening fees, which I didn't know. Like I was so used to paying to be like considered for a festival. So we have an 18 month festival run, which on one hand is great because I want to recoup the money for our investors and myself. On the other hand, I'm like, I want everyone to see the film. I'm really like impatient and waiting 18 months before we do theatrical and streaming and all these things is a long time. So on my birthday, it's looking like, which more info to come, but I think we're going to be doing a festival sort of screening in LA on my birthday with uh, more details to come. Heck yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting. It's December 4th. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear about the whole Jewish component with all this anti-Semitism rolling around in the world. Yeah. Ever. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's very scary. It's it's um, it's very interesting, especially because, you know, my, my director is Israeli. So I've I've seen interactions in person, but mm. I, I hope that people are able to watch it as as a story and not uh, have any weird cultural bias, bi- biases, bi- biases, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if, if, again, like people's, I always say people's actions are a reflection on their character, right? Absolutely. So if mm-hmm. anyone starts spewing hateful anti-Semitic shit for like, after watching your film, I don't think your film sparked that. They're like, no, yeah, that's on them. And that's embarrassing for them. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So how amazing even for like to come out with more Jewish stories, even during all this, because I don't know, there's something there. I think it was, God, I keep forgetting his name. He wrote Tom Sawyer and all that, not Hemingway. Okay. Who is it? I forgot, but he said, time, he says, history doesn't repeat itself. But sometimes it rhymes. Oh, yeah. And the shit going on now with the Jewish community and all, all this anti-Semitism repeating the whole narrative controlling media or banking. I'm, it's like, this sounds like the 1930s again. What are we doing, y'all? What are we doing, everyone? Yeah, I'm like, I, I don't know who these Jews are that are apparently running the industry and what secret club because I'm Jewish and like, tell me where this club is. I'm, I'm not down. in the club, dude. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't get an invite. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Yeah, again, it's a reflection on their character. So, like, I'm even more happier to promote and to talk more about your film and your work. You know, it's... Thanks, appreciate you giving me the chance to. Heck, yeah. Even Michael Rappaport even got me scared to even just say Jew anymore. He goes, it's Jewish. You don't say Jew yeah, anymore. Yeah. Unless you're in the Jewish community, you say Jewish. You don't say Jew. And I was like, all right, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Got it, so bro. Funny. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we got to, we've gotten to a good place uh, in the podcast. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to pick your brain on your next feature film unless you're cool talking about that. I know it's yeah. still in the, you're still workshopping the writing, the script on that, but I don't know. Yeah. I love the title, so Thank I would love you. to talk about it. Yeah, I would love to to talk about it. So it, this one's a bold one, but um, I just 
I think I've, I was in a very long-term relationship with someone that was, I, I think it took me forever to acknowledge it for what it was unhealthy and toxic. Mm -hmm. And I, I noticed that a lot of the, the commentary I was receiving, even from my own family. And I know it comes from a good place was like, well, why did you stay? And I think that a lot of people say that to, to people who have, who are in relationships or have left. And like, um, I think there's a stat that it like takes seven tries to leave an abusive relationship. And I, I was just kind of intrigued by all this. And I wanted to kind of show the dynamic of somebody who is in a relationship with a narcissist. And I, I think that's a word that's thrown around very flippantly these days, but someone who has like narcissistic personality disorder, because I think based on my, my own experience, I'm like, Oh, now I can see all the red flags, like a sail ship, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why I ran it's I was like, capture the flag. Let's go. <laughs> um, but I kind of wanted to show like how someone ends up in that situation and what it, what it feels like to be gaslit. So it's essentially the story of, um, a, a couple and it's the, they're, we're at the tail end of their relationship kind of falling apart and it, there are some time jumps. So you kind of see where things are at now and where things were at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I try to like do little odes to, um, behaviors that are narcissistic, like gaslighting or love bombing and things or breadcrumbing. And you kind of see the, the layers of manipulation that go into this relationship and what happens when the victim starts to recognize their own situation. And um, the twist is that as this is all happening, the, the boyfriend is starting to have some strange behaviors like uh, he'll snore occasionally or as he's walking, you'll see dirt coming from his feet or like, um, on the sidewalk, there the girl's footsteps look one way and his look like little pig hooves. And um, basically, once the girl finally comes to terms with the fact that she can't be in this, like she sees her partner for who he is, he turns into a pig. <laughs> I love so, it. Yeah, it's it's um very interesting. It mixes like uh, fantasy and reality and. Um, talks about some heavy subjects in um a kind of mix of drama but light comedy way so um yeah d definitely trying to fine tune that and i also wanted to show like the type of environment that fosters a narcissist because i think those types tend to be the most charming people in the world mm -hmm. and oftentimes i think people have trouble recognizing that and and this is a theme in trust too that like someone I know and love might be someone else's abuser. And that I think a lot of people have trouble recognizing that um, it's not black and white, that people are, are different to different people. Um, so I wanted to kind of show the type of community around that narcissist. So some of it plays onto my experience at Buzzfeed as well. Bold. Yeah. We'll see. Bold. We'll see how it comes together. And you see this as a feature? Yes. I see it as a feature. And um, I'm, I'm also like writing pilots and things of that sort. But this is like the next feature I would ideally want to do. But um, 
based on the way it's written, we'll need a much bigger budget. <laughs> yeah, oh, we'll go after it. If anyone can, yeah. you can. Oh, um, something that had a, uh, how to hunt a narcissist and trust seem to have in common. And from my perspective is that mix of drama and comedy. Yeah. I, I love to talk about, I mean, I love to show realistic situations that elicit comedy. Like the comedy comes from how absurd a situation is, but like how real it is. So like to me, people, our distributor actually asked us this. He's like, do you think it's a stretch to pitch this as a comedy? And I was like, I don't know, because to me, I think it's funny because like there's a scene where the family's all yelling at each other and it's so real. But I think it's funny because that's like literally what happened when my grandpa passed away that my grandma was sitting at the table looking distraught while everyone else was in a fight about what they wanted to eat for dinner. And I feel like that's where comedy comes from, like these relatable, real situations. So I think a lot of what I tend to write is like black comedy or dramedy. It seems like you're writing about life because life yeah. is, a, a is, is, is a dark comedy. That's life. You have moments that yeah. you're, you're sobbing, crying in your room alone, but then you're laughing because I don't know. You broke something on accident or you see something and you start laughing or because because even that scene, the opening scene of trust for the trailer where you're just like, like staring at the at the at the vat at the vase with the ashes like are her are her like what was it are her screws there? Are her teeth in there? Yeah. yeah what about in there? Yeah. And it's like these are really like absurd questions to be thinking right now. But as absurd as they are, it can totally be what someone's thinking like, well, you know, it's their mom's funeral. You're thinking these things like her teeth, the screws totally. from her, from her operation. It's, but so I, I applaud you for that. That's dope. Hey, appreciate it. I dig the, I dig the, uh, the dark comedies. I dig that as a person who, uh, who has been through their own darkness in life. I, I, I've learned that learning how to laugh past that darkness is like sometimes the best way to get through it. Totally. Yeah. Dig I it. agree. All right, so I think now it's the best time to get to the next segment of the show. So the Why the F Now podcast has one official segment where it's like a question question portion. And uh, let's see, have you ever watched Inside the Actor Studio? Yes. Yeah, okay. So this is your Inside the Actor Studio moment, the last 10 questions <laughs> that Mr. James Lipton would ask every performer on his stage. I have them here ready for you. They're super, they're deceptively simple. Uh, you can answer however you'd like. Uh, cool. Take as much time as you need. Yeah? Awesome. Sounds good. Dig it. Here we go. All right. First question. What is your favorite word? Ew. Uh, chocolate. <laughs> Dig it. Next question. What is your least favorite word? Moist. <laughs> you had that one in your pocket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next question. What turns you on emotionally, spiritually, or mentally? Um, I think passion and persistence. Like, I... I think I am at my best self when I'm around people who are passionate about what they do and good at what they do, 
but they also are actively pursuing it. Like I, I think I, I know I talked about redefining success earlier, but I, I used to have a different definition of success. And now I look at a lot of people around me who aren't traditionally successful. They're not stars of a TV show, but they work extremely hard and they're so good at what they do. And I believe in their potential to succeed. And I am inspired by them. And I think it makes me believe in my own potential. So um, people who have drive and passion and persistence. Hell yeah. Dig it. Next question. What turns you off emotionally, spiritually, or mentally? Um, people who try to control other people, um, I think, and, and my scripts deal with this a lot. Um, I, I think it's sometimes hard to recognize when someone uh, is trying to challenge you in a productive way versus like control you for the sake of their own way of going about things. So um, I think people who try to control others based on whatever code they live by, whether it's um, yeah, like religion or money or any relationships, um, that's a turnoff, control. And um, trying to raise yourself by belittling others is also a turnoff. Wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Next question. What sound or noise do you love? Um, when I come home and my dog starts getting all excited and like whimpering as though she hasn't seen me in a month, it's really unhealthy because <laughs> she does the, the opposite version when I leave the house. But I feel like there's no other feeling in the world like this little cute creature being so excited to see me when I come home. You know, they say dogs can teach us a lot. And that's something. Yeah. Be excited yeah. to see that your loved ones, even if it's just been an hour. Yeah, or five seconds. Five seconds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Next question. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, I hate a lot of sounds. <laughs> I, I think I'm a very, like, I am very aware of sounds and a lot bothers me. But I think especially, like smacking of food <laughs> all right dig it yeah i like the specificity i appreciate yeah. it yeah next question what is your favorite curse word Ooh, tough one i feel like i have to go with shit because that was my first word like ever as a human yeah nice yeah, and I'm proud of that. I'm like, shit all day. <laughs> I mean, I love fuck, but shit has such place in my heart. <laughs> right on. Dig it. Thanks. <laughs> Next question. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh. Um, I, I guess maybe it falls in the same realm because at first I, you know, my, my main profession would have been acting. And then I went into like writing and producing. So outside of that, something related to travel or events, like putting on events in different locations. I, I feel like there's a pro 
producerial element to putting on events. And um, there's a world, to me, I'm like, the best type of events are experiential and have that same type of story element that movies have. So I could see myself enjoying the event space. Right on. That's very rad. Dig it. Next question. What profession would you not like to do? Um, anything related to blood. My dad is a doctor and I, I hate blood and hospitals and I have mad respect for doctors and nurses because I don't think I could handle it. So. It's a tough job. Tough yeah. job. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as you enter the pearly gates? Here is, uh, you're walking on to your next movie set and you have a $50 million budget. Have fun over the next few weeks and then you have another film lined up right after. <laughs> we have your next five-year schedule. Don't worry about it. You're good. Yeah. That would honestly, because I think the hardest part of being an actor or in this creative field is a lot of people, a lot of people I know over the pandemic, they realized, you know what? I don't love this industry. I love acting. I love writing. I love producing, but the industry doesn't even let me do that. And because of trust and being able to make that, it was like the happiest I've ever been in my life was being on set for those 18 days. And afterwards I was like, oh man, that's not good that I discovered my happiest self is on set. <laughs> so hard to be on set um so in my heaven being able to do the thing that i love day in and day out would be a dream <laughs> beautiful beautiful yeah. beautiful well we did it we got to the end of the podcast Yay. end of the interview now it's your chance uh jennifer please let everyone know uh everything they can check or they can check out trust any other things any other content you've worked on let the people know where they can find awesome. it well, uh, you could follow me on the gram at jenharts247. I am on TikTok as the Jennifer Levinson because my other account got banned. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's because I was parroting Bachelor producers and it was too realistic. Um, and then <laughs> you can also find trust on all the things at Trust a Feature Film. Beautiful. All right, and then just gonna little record a little bit more as we fade out into the distance. We fade out. Hey, you're back. You're here for the outro. You know, for anyone who stays for the outro, you are like you gotta be a super fan, or or maybe you're just really interested about more information on the guest artist or the guest, the guest guest. Jennifer Levinson, everybody, uh, if you want to know more about trust and any more about any content, any videos she's making, uh, any other bold moves she's uh, enacting in the world, uh, go follow her on Instagram and on TikTok. All of her links are going to be in the description below, uh, whether that's on Spotify, on YouTube, uh, where else? Dude, you can find us everywhere. You can find you can find this podcast on Spotify, on YouTube. I'm posting it on TikTok now, so make sure to follow follow stay tuned stay tuned see what's coming next who knows who knows maybe it's steven spielberg next we don't have steven spielberg not yet he's coming stevie baby come over dog we have the same name make it happen uh and yeah all my stuff's down there too all my links have fun with that and most importantly don't forget you're enough you're more than enough it's crazy how enough you are 
Okay. Bye. I'm leaving. Bye.